0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. Now, this is a great, great, beautiful Thursday morning with a lot in the news. But there's something going on in Epps, Alabama, and Birmingham this weekend I wanted to tell you about. Um, the Federation of Southern Co-ops is celebrating their 50th anniversary. They got started in 1967 during the Civil Rights Area. The cooperatives cooperators came together and formed an umbrella organization, the Federation of Southern Co-ops and so we congratulate uh, Cornelius Blanding and Ralph Page and everybody down in Birmingham and Epps, Alabama that's coming together this weekend. Sorry we're not going to be there with you, but please enjoy yourself and have a great time. And talking about having a great time, we're going to have a great time this morning talking to Mr. Stephen Schaff, who's the founder of Community Vision Partners here in the metropolitan area. Good morning, Stephen.
1: Good
2: morning.
0: Thank you for coming into the studio and talking to us. My pleasure. And I understand you all have put together 400 affordable home ownership opportunities uh, in this area. Mm -hmm. How did it happen?
1: Uh, Well, my background is, uh, uh, my social background is uh, that as a community activist and political organizer, but my social enterprise background is affordable housing development. So my focus and expertise was working in the underserved communities, mostly in Ward 7 and 8 in uh, D.C. And uh, the emphasis was on helping create home ownerships uh, in neighborhoods that were obviously in the path of gentrification. So our goal was to help convert the housing stock from basically, for lack of a better term, slum apartments into uh, decent uh, quality uh, green affordable housing that was accessible to uh, many of our uh, uh, members in the community that uh, could not afford ownership, home ownership.
0: But how do you start doing that, Steve?
1: <laughs> a lot, lot of hard work, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, uh, mistakes. Uh, but uh, uh, the real, fu- uh, I think, ability for us to get it done was to stick to our social agenda. We used business in a way that uh, uh, could uh, be profitable, but also at the same time really uh, built a different way of doing business that could be uh, good, much better for the, the common good. Uh, so we used uh, creative ways to finance properties uh, to keep our costs low. Uh, build relationships with a lot of nonprofit organizations out there that uh, were involved with housing. Uh, We created the coalitions and the partnerships to help steer people to opportunities that uh, they did not uh, normally come across. (laughs) A lot lot of hard work, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, stakes, uh, but uh, the real, I think, ability for us to get it done was to stick to our social agenda. We used business in a way that uh, uh, could uh, be profitable, but also at the same time really... Uh, Built a different way of doing business that could be uh, good much better for the the common good Uh, So we used uh, creative ways to finance properties uh, to keep our costs low uh, build relationships with a lot of nonprofit organizations out there that uh, were involved with housing Uh, We created the coalitions and the partnerships to help steer people to opportunities that uh, they did not uh, normally come across
0: I know I've been a part of creating a hundred Affordable housing. Well, it was more like 67, but there were seven nonprofits that did it, and uh, what throughout, throughout, but mostly was in Northwest from 95 to 2005. And it's hard work. You did 400.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When uh, you're in the real estate business, and you mentioned you do affordable housing, uh, a lot of the folks that have capital and ability to uh, help the situation sort of glaze over and. Uh, it's just not uh, something that attracts a lot of attention sometimes until you start showing them that if you do it well, uh, you can earn some pretty good returns. So we had that resistance that, you know, wasn't sexy enough or why do this when we should be uh, in the upper northwest or, or converting the gym housing, but I think they really influenced and, ex- and exerted the the, uh, the issue of affordable housing into the city government in a way that to really uh, Really got everyone to sort of work together to the point where we now have a nice housing fund and so on, et cetera. So, uh, again, MANA's an you know, absolutely terrific organization.
0: Well, you're talking about Roseanne Look at MANA, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. done a lot of work to, to uh, with Bob Poland, you mentioned mm-hmm. CHND, mm-hmm. um, to to bring about this, this whole idea of that we're getting gentrified and houses are going up from, I know, in. To 1998, in this development I was telling you about, we sold some homes for $300,000, totally renovated, basement all the way up. And by the time we finished them, they were going for $900,000. Same kind of home in 2005. So from so 95 when we got started, so the first group in 1998, 1999, the last group we sold in 2005, they'd gone up that much.
1: It was a frenzy. Yeah. And actually, I guess it's a frenzy again today. So the question is, you know, how do you preserve housing for folks that need to live, work, and contribute to the local economy? And I think, uh, you know, other alternatives, uh, shared equity, uh, uh, things like that. But co-ops, uh, as you know, as you, you indicated, and you certainly have tremendous expertise, and uh, this is a, a very big tool that may not be as common in, in the housing market as it should be. But for changing communities, co-ops is, is a tool. If you do it right and you do it on a scale, that could really allow. You know, that gentrification is going to come no matter what. I mean, from 300,000 to 900,000, that's market forces. And and as you know, it's tough to really beat back, shall we say, the the, uh, enthusiasm for profit of the market. So how do you uh, still keep, you know, community members in their own communities? Co-ops, I think, are an excellent tool if you know how to do them well.
0: Well, it's an excellent tool, and if you look at the – All of the numbers, all of the variables, anything you can look at, they outperform apartments all across the board. And I haven't seen any research where they look at co-ops compared to condos, but I would think that they would outperform that from the standpoint of having community Mm -hmm. and people living in community. Because one of the things that co-ops can do is that condos can't do. Co-ops have a membership committee that will look at each person that wants to buy or rent or move into the co-op, and they can say, yes, you can come in, thumbs up or thumbs down, no, you cannot come down, come in, and condos can't have that. Have to do it by the law. Fair housing lo- laws have to be in place and so forth. Um, in New York, a condominium did not let Madonna come in. Another one did not let Nixon come in. And they both said, and it was upheld in court, that they would disrupt my quiet enjoyment of my home with... The camera people. (laughs) Paparazzi. (laughs) Paparazzi, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So if you look at HUD comparative apartment buildings, compared to co-ops, their rents were lower. They were better kept. People felt more at home. They took care of each other. Then they had less foreclosures, a lot less, that the HUD insurance for co-ops had gone up. They, They just haven't had to use it. Where apartment buildings, they put people out and so forth. The quality of the housing stock is much better because people that live there, once they understand they are owners, and that's a transition in attitude from a tenant to an owner, but once they understand they are owners, they take better care of their, of their facilities. And then the board would change the roof when the roof needs a change. Mm-hmm. Where Because of the profit-making motive, an apartment builder owner may not change those roofs or those windows or those other capital improvements that have to be done. So, yeah, outperforms.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good point about in terms of home ownership and, and, and pride of community and sense of community and all that sort of thing. When I first started out, I was not a businessman. I didn't know D.C. I came from the Philadelphia area. So when I came here, I, I had no idea of the area. I had no idea. I was even going to get into real estate business, but that's a, another story. For okay. I learned the city in, in a very unusual way. I had a motorcycle when I first came down here. I was in my 20s, so, you know, of course, you know you don't worry about uh, you know well, <laughs> the alleys with have a motorcycle. I
0: rode my motorcycle here today, okay, so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm right. not in my
1: <laughs> <laughs> twenties. Right I'll be <laughs> back on motorcycle. <laughs> anyway, the point is, I would drive through alleyways to get to know neighborhoods, and I began to realize, you know, I could I started figuring out which alleys were uh, blocks full of homeowners versus renters. It was a huge difference. Homeowners they kept their alleys clean. They they made sure the city services were were taken care of. There was a clear distinction of what an alley of homeowners were compared to a block or two away where it was just complete, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff and mm-hmm. everything else going on. And it really came down to if you don't own or have a piece or responsibility for something, you are not going to take care of it. So, again, in these communities, the more we can increase homeownership, and, again, cooperation, co-ops are a good way to it, the more you can have healthier communities where people literally have ownership in their community. So how is it? Co-ops are you know not only you know, needed but have a very so, uh, good social uh, positive impact in the entire neighborhoods.
0: Social wealth is created with co-ops and financial wealth. That's mm-hmm. the other the other piece of it. Listen, we've got to take our first break. Time goes by very quickly. If anybody have a comment or a question, you can call in at one 800 four five zero seven eight seven six and mr stephen shaft is our visitor in the studio with us this morning and we'll keep talking about uh, cooperatives we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Everything Cooperative is the program you're listening to. We're talking about the benefits and the values of cooperative living and housing. Uh, You can have a co-op that is owned and operated by the employees of a business, and it's called a worker cooperative. So as you can think, any co-op you can think of, any co-op, any business you can think of could be a co-op if it's owned by the employees, a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the consumers that uses the products or services of the business, it's called a consumer cooperative. And that is uh, credit unions are a consumer cooperative. We've been talking about housing co-ops this morning. The housing cooperatives are owned by the people that live in that business. The credit unions are owned by the people that put their deposits and have their checking accounts. And then you vote for a board of directors, and that board of directors makes decisions, long-term decisions, about the business. Consumer uh, cooperatives, there's one here in D.C. called uh, CPA. They started out with charter schools and churches providing services like solar panels and gas trash collection. So I just just named the wrong one. So let me talk about two other types. Purchasing co-op. CPA is a purchasing co-op. They buy products and services for the people, the members, and they get a better quality, normally at a lower price. And you normally have those with farmers and artists. Farmers are the ones, and the in the U.S. government, the Department of Agriculture is to know more about co-ops than probably anybody else. HUD probably would have been second, but uh, the farmers are they create purchasing co-ops and then they create marketing co-ops. So that leads a farmer the needing to produce whatever they produce. And they have some people that get the expertise on how to buy them because their products and services and the equipment that they need. And the same thing for artists. Artists are now coming together and creating co-ops that they will buy a warehouse together where they can do their crafts and they can then sell their goods at this warehouse. So they come together and the artists now can do what they do best and that's produce their art. And on the purchasing side of it, on the marketing side of it, you have uh, companies like Lando Lakes and Cabot Creamery that they will now sell the products that the different farmers produce. So those are your four basic types of co-ops. And in this program, the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring it to give you the information you may need so you can start a co-op or you can find out who's doing what in this area. And we've had guests all the way through the U S all the way out to California. They talk about what's going on in your neighborhood and creating co-ops. So Mr. Steven Schaff, we were in talking about housing and the benefits of ownership. And as I said, the research says that any variable you look at the co-op housing outperforms the apartment buildings for a community because they also create, there was a co-op in Atlanta that the research said that the people that came there made 7.1% on their money, their membership fee, or their similar, sometimes it's just like a security deposit. Sometimes it's more, but they got 7.1% return off of their money, but that did not include that they could write off their insurance and they could write off their portion of the property taxes. It also did not include that in this same, uh, uh, community, the co-ops rent, I put that in quotes, co-op fee, rent, whatever you call it, maintenance fee, was running about $500 a month. Where if you went down the street, the two-bedroom for an apartment was running seven and $800 a month. So throughout the, they would been in existence for 40 years, probably like 45 now. So throughout the years, their costs did not go up. They didn't have to worry about profit, as, as one example. Mm-hmm. And then if they maintained it better, taking care of things when they needed to be taken care of, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care or something like that old thing. They took care of it when they needed to, so their costs were down. So, so people had a much bigger than 7.1% return if you look at the opportunity costs and their their tax, after-tax mm-hmm. So it's amazing, I I can't, it it seems like that HUD would want to put all of their dollars in the co-ops. There is one caveat, there's probably more than one, but the major caveat is it takes work, Mm -hmm. okay? It takes, somebody said on this program, it's hard work, that's why there's not more Mm co-ops.
1: Yeah, those that I know that have either lived or invested or been involved with uh, co-ops, that's uh, one of the first reactions is, oh, you know, they're hard to work with, so on, et cetera. Well, you know, condos. And even if you had uh, lived in a neighborhood with single families, it all takes work. With a co-op, though, there is a commitment where everyone needs to be involved or or held responsible for that work. And ultimately, a long in you know, a long term, it's not only you getting good returns on your financial investment, but you're getting tremendous returns on the on the quality of life. Those yep. that in your are in your in your co-op in your building, they're all one way or another looking out for each other. Why? Because they have a, a real interest. If you're Living in a neighborhood and a house next door, or that has crazy people in them, or, or something's going on in a neighborhood, you sort of close your doors and leave it and leave it alone. Co-ops tend to be—it's uh, harder to avoid that. And At the end of the day, that makes for uh, you know much more healthy, uh, comfortable communities, and uh, you, know, you can't you can't ignore or, or forget that. It's, you're not just looking for a return; you're looking for a place that you can call home and you feel really good and comfortable and safe. So that that's that's a what I would call a, a personal return, not monetary, but a personal return about living in a situation where everyone literally cooperatively looks out for each other, for their even if it's just for their own interest. That's still uh, much more of a mindset there. That even condos, where condos are you know, a collection of individual, independent owners, who don't, except for the condo uh, uh, responsibilities, don't necessarily have to uh, really work hard on a
0: community? Well, the work hard I found is there's a tremendous payback. And the payback is, like you said, much bigger than the financial payback, and it's the social wealth. Mm-hmm. Not only the social wealth inside the community of the co-op, but the social wealth inside. Well, I live in a 57-unit co-op. It's a market rate co-op on East Capitol and Benny Road. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, right now, it's a gated community. The The board decided to put a gate up about 10 years ago to stop people from shopping in our parking lot. Mm -hmm. You know, they would take cars, they would buy them without even a deposit. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So we watch out for each other. Mm -hmm. It's it's absolutely amazing, but not only is it good for the community inside there, but it's also good for that, that community in ward seven, that we mm-hmm. actively participate. It's also mm-hmm. good for the community of Washington, D.C. and the United States of America. So there's impact that a cooperative community will have on itself and, and throughout. And that's the social benefit. You learn how to work with police. You learn how to work with um, aging or young people. Mm-hmm. So it really, really works. I, mm-hmm. I get excited about it, talking about it, and I'm so glad that I mean, you've done 400 affordable units, and that's something I would like to do is sort of help get more units and more people to understand co-ops.
1: Well, uh, in terms of, of, I think, one of the most pressing needs about housing, and a lot of things in, in, on the social side of things, we need a great scale. So the man is out there. Uh, they do great work, and... They make a real impact, but I would love to see them one day do 10 times as much as they're doing now. They probably still won't be able to solve uh, the the affordable housing issue or uh, house people in in, uh, quality housing. So the real issue is these models work. You can build a sense of community. You could bring other things into these co-ops like uh, arts and, and other things that help support the community. The question is, how can we do it? Because for whatever reason, for the last several generations, we can't seem to to get this together, even though we've got resources, wealth, and everything else, and theoretically in the government beyond is, How do we really build this out? So part of what Communities and Partners is doing is not only working on the social enterprise side, but we're trying to, to really help build up the creative economy side, the the sharing economy side, the cooperative economy side, which is growing, it's a huge growth, because our economy has changed. Uh, the work jobs aren't as available. Uh, quality housing and all that aren't as available as they used to be in maybe you know, our parents' generation or even some of uh, our older listeners' generation. So the question is, how do we you know, really expand on, on uh, solutions? And the fact of the matter is, you know, th- there are solutions. We, we already have them. They've been around for a while. So how do you go and you create more, not just 400 or so, and I've been involved with and advised a lot more than that, but we need thousands, many more thousands, which then creates all sorts of other benefits, to the economy to the quality of life, lower crime, a greater sense of responsibility to the, to the community, and so on, et cetera. So it's a tough thing to do, and part of what we do at Community Vision Partners is not, just not that you know, bricks and mortar, but how do we bring all these sectors together to really change communities particularly those that are on the path of gentrification. I love Anacostia. I've lived and and worked down there. I've got a lot of experience there. But it doesn't look this way right now, but Anacostia is going to be absolutely transformed in the next 10 years. Look at 8th Street. Look at 14th and U. (laughs) How do you you create change without blowing everyone out of the water? It can be done, but it's a tough thing to do because you need to bring all these parties and sectors together. It's
0: got to be done. Well, I totally agree with you having managed a lot of properties in southeast. But we're going to take our second break and we're going to come back and talk about gentrification and the kind of things we can do that keeps people there mm-hmm. where they don't have to be pushed out to Ward 9, Prince George's County. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. News
2: Talk, 1450
0: AM WOS at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Everything Cooperative is the program you're listening to. We're talking about the benefits and the values of cooperative
1: living and housing. Everyone who doesn't know about Mount Rainier or back in the 80s and 90s, the only thing you knew about Mount Rainier, aside from all the liquor stores there, which fortunately we've changed that situation. Everyone knew Glut. Glut is a food co-op that's been there now for well over fifty years, and almost the entire you know community and arts community and the, and the uh, you know open-minded folks moved to to Mount Rainier because Glut was there. And Glut is a hundred percent co-op, hundred percent consensus. And everyone that works there literally owns it. And the spirit that that is glut, and the products, and and the, what they serve, what they've done to serve the community has been t- so tremendous that it really literally helped change the entire face of the community. It's a very multicultural community. It's a very integrated community. It's a very arts community. So we literally have built an industry on that because of one co op that impacted the whole community. So that. That one co op then helped create other energies like the. the Before you move from Glut, sure. if I could. Uh huh. I didn't know about Glut until three months ago. Uh huh. Really? Yeah, when <laughs> I went in there, I
0: found it a little funky store with every corner crammed with merchandise. <laughs> and like you said, there's the guy behind the, the counter the first time I went in there, looked like a Rastafarian mm-hmm. uh, with dreads and playing uh, music, the music. He had everything but the pipe, <laughs> okay, but very, very friendly. You can feel the love, and that's where I thought you were going to go. You can feel the love in the place.
1: It okay. used to be, now, of course, with all the, you know, other uh, uh, co-ops or organic or healthy foods uh, eater uh, places available, it used to be glut. People would come from all over to go to glut because it was a truly authentic, you know, 60s kind of, of enterprise I remembered I joke with my friends that oh I've got to go to Glut so I'll see you in about an hour. I only need a few things, but when you go to Glut, you literally have to spend a half an hour socializing and running into people. It was one. At first, it was like, oh man, I can't just go in and go out. And I realized, wait a minute, this is community. When you go into your local eater food place with good food, and you're you're complaining about oh having to say hello or chat with you know the people that are part of your community, that's a really good thing, and that creates a sense of community to the point where. Glut then attracted a, a lot of these community-minded people, and that indirectly led to the formation of what is now, was Joe's Movement Emporium. Joe's Jove. Movement Emporium, Mount Rainier, it's a, a, a performing dance uh, a, a non-profit. It's not quite a co-op, but it's almost all the principles are really co-op. So Joe's, long story short about Joe's is we, we part of what my background is, we We rented a storefront to help uh, create some art space for local artists who needed just a little bit of work uh, space to do uh, their work outside of their own home. So it was going to be a little arts co-op. So long story short, not only did that that happen, but the two dancers came to me and said, hey, we want to... Make this a, a dance uh, uh, cooperative or or, or or place. Long story short, that started Joe's. That was 20 years ago. Joe's then turned into not one storefront but three storefronts. And Then we went around the corner and uh, bought. I, I became uh, uh, involved in a board member. We bought a the biggest blighted building in Mount Rainier. It was an old warehouse that has now you know have been operating for the past 10 years, 20,000 square feet and 70,000 people a year coming to Joe's participating in Joe's. And those 70,000 people then go to Glut, then go to Nisi's, a wonderful uh, uh, outside of their own home. So it's going to be a little arts co-op and a couple other places around just one block from Joe's. So all of a sudden now we have a more economic activity. Uh, we have uh, uh, community-owned businesses, all these things, all because of two major influences, which were GLUT, the a, a authentic, conventional, uh, straight-up uh, co-op, as you can get, and a Joe's movement for and that required a lot of cooperation from artists and so on, et cetera, to make Joe's happen. And Joe's is now a big, viable asset for the community, not just about radio, but really the region, because we draw from the region. But Joe's and a GLUT have impact beyond that. So because of my involvement with Joe's and realizing that, hey, while I'm doing housing, Every community I'm working in, there should be a Joe's. Well, with we, Joe's has become a model for now. A couple other organizations we helped uh, put together the ecac uh, Emergence uh, Collaborative Arts Center at uh, 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 off of uh, Euclid Street uh, next to Howard. A similar situation. We took an old abandoned house, a large one, created an art space there. It's now a community space. A real contributed community, and that is. Again, a non-profit, but relatively, it's basically a a cooperative uh, situation. So the whole point is it's not a one-off kind of thing. Co-ops really really have, if it's done well and if we really start connecting dots and moving on in the future, this is a movement that we have to speed up because we have to create stronger communities. That's where the jobs are coming from. That's where uh, the sense of community comes from. That's where we can lower crime and really take care of a lot of social issues uh, if we really literally come together more as as a community. So it's just not not housing, it's arts, it's it's, uh, civic engagement, it's business, local businesses becoming much more plugged into their community.
0: Now, is Joe's one block down the street, right in the circle and across the street from so, Glut? Uh,
1: so, it's uh, Joe's is from, if you walk out uh, Glut, uh, you could literally see Joe's. It's just right off of 34th Street, the main, main street. But it's literally, you could just look outside and you see Joe's. It's, it's the biggest building in, in downtown Mount okay. I saw
0: people dancing in there, mm-hmm. and I love the dance. Uh Not necessarily that good, but I love the dance. (laughs) And my sister just told me that they have line dancing classes here.
1: What I love about Joe's, and see, you know, I grew up, I was a typical, you know, 60s, 70s kids, like, uh, you know, dance, that's just for, you know. Uh, I I accidentally got involved in what was not only good in terms of the community, but personally, I I got plugged into the art scene. And it was just a wonderful realization that, you know what, okay, I'm macho, I did sports this and that, you'll never see me go to a dance performance. I was amazed that not only all the forms of art, but even more importantly, in Mount Rainier, at Joe's Movement Port, how many different types of dance and movement and all sorts of things they could fit in that one place. Mm -hmm. And it works. Even more importantly, our kids, and frankly, and I'll be honest, and this is my community I'm talking about, you know, 20 years ago, we had those four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids, nine-year-old kids who you knew were going to go on a certain path. They embraced Joe's. So when Joe's opened, the local kids who were going to be the future runners and, shall we say, entrepreneurs on the streets that, that, that don't go to college, they go somewhere else, unfortunately. These were the kids that started embracing, and their lives were transformed. So, again, you know, here's a Joe's built on a cooperative basis. No rich guy came up and, and dumped a whole lot of money on this. It was a real cooperative process, but everyone has benefited, particularly our kids, and of course, folks that can't find this kind of culture, hand dancing. I didn't know what hand dancing was 15 years ago, and then someone said, "Hey, uh, we want to do a hand dancing class here on, on Monday nights at Joe's." And one, you know, it's one, it's a very popular class. And, and secondly, it's this is part of our culture, hand dancing, Baltimore, DC, and Philly. Hand dancing is a whole, whole, uh, you know, part of our culture that many people have no idea about. Much I, much more. I
0: grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, and hand dancing is what we did. Uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. and I thought I was good uh-huh. until I came here. Okay. <laughs> they well, put a go. whole new twist on hand. And I've taken class with a guy named Brad, but I'm, I'm gonna check out Joe's because I really want to get the, all of these turns that they have. They do the similar turns in salsa, so I've taken some salsa classes. Um, you name it, you name it. But we're gonna take our break, and we'll, we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. We have a great conversation this morning about co-ops and community and the issues as it relates to growing up in America, whether it's your religion or your gender or your race or whatever it might be, how folks can, um, discriminate and and mean and nasty often and so Stephen uh uh, shaft who's the guest here this morning we're talking about that he grew up in philadelphia we were talking about dance which made me ask him where he's from because he looked like a white boy and you know white boys can't jump and can't dance
1: (laughs) hey man that's that's the way it is it's well i I don't buy that anymore more mean and more violent than you guys can ever be sorry (laughs) That's uh, uh,
0: But growing up, uh, he had the same discriminations I had. I had it in Bluefield being black, and he had it in Philadelphia being Jewish. And how people can find that out, they can look at me and tell. Mm-hmm. So that happens. But in co-ops, the main thing I like, the main, well, I don't know if it was the main thing, but one of the things I like when I found out about it, was that co-ops, their first principle is, is volunteer and open membership. It doesn't make any difference about any of those things. Mm-hmm. That that's When you're using the co-op principles, that's the first principle for a co-op, open and volunteer membership. I don't think in the real world that that's always played out, and I've seen some co-ops where it does not, but for most co-ops, that's, that's what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were talking about Joe's important movement emporium Mm -hmm. in Mount Rainier and glut is a couple of uh, Mm -hmm. food costs. And I would encourage you. I'm my sister, who uh, was just telling me, she didn't know the name of Joe's movement Mm -hmm. emporium, Mm -hmm. but she was saying they had line dancing. Mm -hmm. So between line dancing and uh, hand dancing and salsa, and I've been wanting to do some African movement dance too. Mm -hmm. also, have thought about hip-hop, <laughs> okay, so mm-hmm. just just to get the body
1: movement. You got and, it all? Yeah. Tap, I mean, it's just, just really wonderful. So, Vernon, we're talking about a number of ways that the co-ops can make a real difference, and obviously we talked about several things. And, and as Community Vision Partners, as the name implies, Community Vision, we're looking to create cooperative relationships in a number of different areas, I'd like to to bring up another area uh, uh, that uh, I'm actually we're working on right now that's very cooperative in nature. As a matter of fact, uh, one of your previous guests, uh, uh, Rodney North, and I are working on on how to do this. And so you have housing co ops, you have food co ops, uh, a lot of things like that. One of the things that uh, we're working on is you know all the uh, the change agents and folks that are working for the good nonprofits, so and et cetera. Who of course can't get enough done or don't have enough resources, we began to look at that. And, you know, after doing this for a number of years, we realized that so many of us out there that are powerful, effective, successful people still can't get what we need to get to make a difference. So we've been talking about an initiative. Uh, We're talking about how how we put together a collective of change agents, those of us that are willing to, to work For a lot less money, but to help change things. There's many of us now out there. There's a whole army. But we are so disconnected. So for the last several years, I've been looking at this and thinking, I keep running into people like me who, if we had the resources, we would help speed up the movements like what MANA started 40 years ago. We would help grow that. We would help you know, expand successful things that serve the common good more than just the private profit. Now, there's anything wrong with private profit, but there's better ways to do things. So right now, one of uh, Community Vision Partners initiatives is to uh, put together a co-op of professionals, nonprofit organizations, other groups that can come together and work more collaboratively. For example, I could use, you know, an administrative assistant or a social enterprise person or a marketer, maybe, you know, for 10 hours a week. But I know about 10 other people that could use that. So what if we formed a co-op, Help employ one person who could serve several of us, so mm. all those that are doing good work can do much better work. So we're kind of looking at a professional co-op. How do we come together as professionals? And I bet you know many Rodneys and others who are doing great work but don't have you know, the luxury of a high-profile consulting firm that, that could spend money on anything. How do we come together and create the efficiencies of a co-op so that that's another way uh we're looking at co-ops and how to solve an issue where there's plenty of people wanting to help make change and and build out the solutions that are here but it's environmental civic rights a whole bunch of other things how do we come together and work more efficiently together that that's an initiative we're working on right now very excited that we're we're putting some good ideas together and good people like rodney and others are, are helping put this together so The goal would be that once we come together, then we'd be much more able to leverage and amplify all the good stuff that is beginning to brew, the sharing economy, all these other alternative, what we might call new economy uh, uh, efforts that will help speed up building and redirecting resources and assets to our communities, not offshore bank accounts. I
0: would really like to work with you on that. You're on our list. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. You've been recruited. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, I, I don't know, um, corporate development foundation or corporate development fund, CDF dot mm-hmm. co-op. If the folks there might be a part of that, or even maybe providing some funding to get the technology to help put that together, mm-hmm. but how to put that together. It, I think it's, it's great because that turns out to be one of the problems. Now I do have to give a shout out to Mikasa.
1: Oh yeah, oh, no. okay. oh man. We yeah, talked absolutely. about Mana, uh-huh. and
0: Mana's done great, but it's also Mikasa's doing a great job mm-hmm. of developing Latino housing.
1: Economic Development Corp. Another great organization. Mm-hmm.
0: Housing counseling services mm-hmm. mm-hmm. exactly. provided training. Yeah. Uh, so there's yeah, a lot of people out there doing a lot of good, a lot of good work, but how we come together, particularly. I mean, uh, there's a guy named Jim Johnson with Don, D-A-W-N, uh, does training for worker cooperatives. Mm. The folks at Democratic Collaborative. Uh, they put out a book, Cities Building Wealth.
1: So uh, I'm glad you brought them up. I-, I came across them a few years ago. When I found it, it's like, how did I not know about these guys before? So here, here's kind of an issue. They do great work, and they're coming up with all sorts of great, solutions and ideas that make a lot of sense. Little argument. It's not radical. The problem, not the problem, but the, uh, mm, let me see. Let me How would I say it's not a problem? But the problem, yeah, I guess the issue is they got this great idea and I've talked with them and they, they love my model, my community development model and they love it. The problem is I say, now how do you take your good ideas Implement. and do it? Yeah. Because your great ideas require on the ground, you know, people that know we're doing, you know, CDCs can do housing, but can they do housing by the thousands? So in other words, how do we take their good ideas and execute? And that's kind of the bridge. We're sort of in, an, one, we do housing, we can do it on scale. Uh, we can change communities. We can bring arts into communities, et cetera. So how do you take the Mastery collaborative? Again, great ideas that are ready to roll and have been happening to a certain extent. How do we do that to transform things, to create jobs in our community, so on, et cetera. That's the trick. We have David on the line. David, do you have a
0: comment or question?
2: Oh, yeah. Hi. I uh, I, I was going to ask him if um, he's aware that a lot of the ratings agencies have been bought up by various corporations, and then, of course, they get corrupted once they get bought up. And this has been going on with Reagan's savings and loans days. That was kind of the beginning of it, although during the subprime, they were hard at work, you know, giving high ratings to some of those criminal banks.
0: Are you talking about um, rating corporations like Moody's?
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so to this day, that's never really been resolved. And uh, part of the trouble with, you know, uh, Trump and his cronies is based entirely on that, that they're, you know, how can he move hundreds of millions of dollars so easily? Uh, except for uh, through ratings agencies that allow a company to have that kind of transfer and uh, I was going to suggest if we want to get back to a normal economy we should set up uh, uh, ratings agencies and it actually can create millions of jobs because say for example the counterfeit tires you know if a, 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 a you know a bus an interstate highway bus has to have tires that are of a certain quality and uh and they, these cheap counterfeits come in and the uh, corporate uh, bus line able to buy hundreds of thousands of counterfeit tires and put the country at risk you can actually have create jobs you know every major city could have some kind of a guy works in a uh, he's familiar with the science of tires but David
0: we've got to cut it short because we're getting ready to run out of town I I got your first one on on this rating, creating those so yeah and create jobs
2: well it it creates the opportunity I mean every product whether it's shoelaces to tires to computer uh, programs requires somebody who's got skill enough to spot a counterfeit versus an honest uh, rate Okay. And uh, so, it it uh, you want to create some jobs? Uh, you, you think about it from that angle.
0: We will. Thank you very much for your call, there. Thank you.
1: You know, this is a very complicated answer, uh, but the long and short of it is, a lot of stuff gets uh, gets to happen the way it happens because those that regulate, uh, say, Moody's and whatnot, are 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 appointees from the, the politicians who are in in place. Because frankly, uh, you know, they were they were paid for and bought by you know large entities that make a lot of money off of their decisions.
0: We've got to go. I'm sorry we
1: are out of time. (laughs) I need six hours to answer this particular question. (laughs) Okay. But a good question anyway. So last word? Last word is everyone needs to come together and create a better way to move forward. The solutions are out there. If we come together, we can start uh, making those solutions happen and not be blocked out by the status quo uh, systems that are not addressing the real issues that we all need to take care of. And benefit for all of us. Get
0: everybody out there, please have a great week and live cooperatively. Thank you.
2: Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450,
0: 1450 AM WOL at 95.9 9. FM.